Okay, an in-depth look at the action across the whole continent, providing you with a tactical, analytical, and critical view supported by Pinnacle's unrivaled odds. This is South American Soccer Insights. Hi again, everybody. Austin Miller sitting in the hot seat once again on South American Soccer Insights. Pleased to be joined by Simon Edwards in Colombia. Simon, how you doing, mate? Yeah, very good, very good, very good. Went to Pasto the weekend, got freezing cold and sunburn, which is which is great. Uh, but I'm good, I'm good. And Tom Robinson is joining us from the UK. Tom, how you doing, mate? Yeah, not too bad. Just the, the freezing cold for me, none of the sunburn, but uh, yeah, all good here. And I can confirm that in Buenos Aires, we've got the sunburn. So we've got all the uh, all the possibilities covered here on today's show. We're going to be breaking down uh, the week that was and what's to up what's upcoming in the, the Conmebol Libertadores. We'll touch a bit on what's coming in the Conmebol Sudamericana as well. So let's take a look at some of the national team squads that have been released and some of the status in the leagues uh, here around South America. Because guys, let's start in the week that was in the Copa Libertadores. Tom, I'm tempted to start with Wilfred Boney, but after the 65 minutes we saw of Wilfred Boney, we will not be seeing him anymore in the Copa Libertadores. But the big names have arrived! <laughs> exactly yeah no it was um i mean i, I definitely don't think we should start with Wilfred Boney because i don't think uh, always ready even really fancied it in the first game <laughs> either so as you said very disappointing but you know there's already been some massive ties some big names some big players um contributing you know hawkey's back there's all kinds of um, good stuff from uh, Marcelo Martins Moreno, Facero, you know, there's, it's this time of year that really gets me excited about um, all, all the big names coming back to the tournament and some of the random names as well. Wilfred Boney's always ready, did not get the job done against Magashanes over two legs, the Chilean side moving on to the third tie. Simon, Colombian teams had a very successful week. Missionarios and Dim both through to the third phase. That guarantees them continental group stage football this year. What did you make of what you saw from those two Colombian sides? And maybe what do you make of them going forward? Uh, Missionarios will, will obviously play Atletico Mineiro. That's a pretty tough tie. And then Dim will, will face Magashanes for, for a spot in the group stage. I think a tie that they'll probably be favored in. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, I think obviously huge for these two clubs um, because financially having continental football is massive. So um, big, big results. And they were tight games. And Nacional were good. Um, Medellin just about got the job done. 4-3 in aggregate. They won uh, 2-1 uh, on the second leg at home. Uh, I think they were helped quite a lot by a Mikolta red card. He was he was looking for that red card <laughs> for a while. <laughs> at halftime, you know, him and Pardo were kind of kicking off a little bit as well. Um, but yeah, huge, hugely important for, for these two clubs across the year, but getting through as well is, is massive. Um, tight games. That was impressive from Dim because, because El Nacional were pretty good and were pretty dangerous. And I think the goalkeeper for, for Medellin Mosquera was very, very important on the night. Lots of good saves. I think he was their man of the match. So that was, that was key. Um, they've got some good experience as well. Um, be able to bring off the bench, um, good strikers, Leonardo Castro, for example, you know, that's, that's important. Um, so, look, I think, um, sorry, not, not Leonardo Castro, uh, Pardo. But look, Medellin, I think um, they've got a decent side. They're not going to be uh, particularly strong. They're not going to be uh, a big threat in the group stage. But playing against Magallanes, you're going to fancy their chances. Magallanes obviously newly promoted in Chile to the top flight and they won the cup. <laughs> it's a good year uh, for them. And then to get into the 
to the Libertadores off the back of a cup win. So uh, very impressive from the Chileans. As you say, Medellin probably favourites for that time. Millonarios have Leonardo Castro. That's where he is. Um, so Millonarios, again, narrowly beating Universidad Católica 2-1 on aggregate after a, a 0-0 draw away. That's a good result for them. Again, this Millonarios side, I think, is quite, quite solid. Um, they have uh, Castro in attack who gives them dynamism. He's a player who suffered a lot of injuries. He was at Medellin for years and years um, and had lots of injuries, but now he's had a decent run of form. Um, played last year with Pereira, won the league with Pereira, and then moved on to um, to Millonarios to give them that kind of focal point in attack. And he was good. Also, Oscar Cortes, who we'll probably speak again about later, maybe with the U20s, had a really, really good U20 championship. Is kind of a, a winger, but can play as a central midfielder, can do a lot of things, is creative. He's a really interesting player. Similar style to Jasa Espri, who's gone to Watford, but perhaps a little bit more physically robust. Kind of a winger who has those central midfield qualities. So, look, I, I quite like Mid, uh, Mijanarios. I think Mijanarios is slightly stronger than Medellin. But obviously with Monero, it's going to be a really tough tie in the next round for, for, for the Bogota club. Yeah, Simon, this week coming up, Missionarios play at home against Atlético Mineiro. We've seen Brazilian tie, Brazilian teams kind of struggle to get out of first or second gear away from home. Both of the Brazilian teams, Atlético Mineiro and Fortaleza, played nil-nil draws against very weak opposition in this past tie. Uh, Mineiro against Carabobo and Fortaleza against Maldonado. It's a big opportunity for Missionarios because if they are to have any chance in this tie, you have to feel they're going to have to get not just a draw in that first leg, but they need to go into the second leg with something to protect. So this is the type of game that could be pretty open with Missionarios playing at a bit of altitude in Bogota, looking to attack the match, looking to create opportunities and looking to stake themselves an advantage that they can then take to Brazil and maybe try and catch the Brazilian side a bit under their level away from home. Yeah, I think yeah, the altitude is is a factor. Bogota is often on a on a midweek evening, a bit drizzly, a bit cold, a bit a bit uncomfortable for a, for a Brazilian side to go to go there and play. So um, with a good support um, and a and a solid team, you know, I think if they get the the chance, they get the goal. Um, I think this Mediterranean side is fairly well suited as well to go to way to Brazil and be the underdogs and kind of stay in the tie. So they'll definitely need something to take with them to Brazil. They'll definitely need a, a lead, I think. Um, but if they do have that advantage, then you know maybe they can maybe they can see it out. You know, obviously strong underdogs. Just the fact that Hulk as well is such a presence, such a danger in attack all the time for Mineiro. It's going to be tough. But as you say, there's there's the chance that they can um, unsettle the Brazilians a little bit at home and hopefully, for their perspective, take something off to Brazil. I like the Paulinho for Mineiro as well in the midfield, the the young player wearing the number 10 shirt. I was really impressed by him uh, against Carabobo this week. Tom, Simon touched on on Medellin there that they're not a, a terribly impressive side. Obviously, they got through to this stage. They come up against Magashanis. They should be favored in the tie. I like what I saw against Magashanis. Granted, you have to kind of put in the caveat that always ready were uh, far and away not ready for this tie, it's fair to say. Uh, <laughs> particularly in La Paz, I was really impressed by Magashanis. One of the better away performances in La Paz that I've seen from a team. Is there hope for, for the Chilean side in this tie against against Independiente Medellin? Is there maybe a chance for, for a team that you know, certainly in the odds is, is going to be longer here to, to get the job done in the tie and get a result maybe in the in the first leg at home and, and take something to Medellin in the second leg? I think there's definitely a possibility for someone who's, who's looking for a bit of a, an, an outside bet there on, on Magajanes. As you said, very hard to gauge quite where they are, but 
this is a side that scored three goals home and away, six different scorers as well. So they've got, they can share the goals around. And I I really think this, this Magajanes side, having sailed through to to the next round against uh, Always Ready could, you know, could navigate their way um, past Medellin and, um, and, you know, potentially get through. I mean, also, um, as well as the Medellin, you know, admittedly they came up against a good side, but they, they, they were giving away chances. They were, you know, they gave away three goals there. You kind of could have been more penalty miss from, uh, um, El Nacional. So this is, this is a side that's got goals could maybe cause them some trouble. They're going to be the underdogs. They've got nothing to lose. And they have a midfielder called Tom Jones. So, you know, he's going to be sex bombing around the midfield, trying to burn down the house. It's, it's, it's all made up. It's exactly the type of Libertadores story you want. You know, there are some classy opera, uh, operators at Medellin, you know, uh, Rick Alte is still, still a class act. Daniel Torres, you know, little silver fox in midfield. Um, and I, I'm a big fan of Monsalve who hopefully will get a bit of more game time. But I like what I've, um, I've seen of this, um, um, this side. Obviously, as, as Simon said, the, the sort of the big glamour tie is is that Minero Missionarios um, game. Um, Minero, they were better the second game, but they really didn't impress me from from what I saw. I think Missionarios have got the better chance out of these two Colombian sides of making it through. You know, you look at Minero, and on paper they should be good. I mean, half of their squad just feels like a cast off of Internacional um, with Patrick, with Eddie Nilsson, Bruno Fuchs. Um, yes, they've got some, you know, good strength and depth there. Um, and Chacho Calvet in, in, uh, on the bench is, is a really good manager. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'm a big fan of Cortez. I, I like... Um, I, I like that for a, a really tight game that could go um, e- either way. But uh, yeah, it's it, it's already heating up and and being a, a very interesting third round, I think. And Simon, to, to close out on the Colombian sides, particularly with Dim, it's also worth mentioning that Colombian teams have really underachieved in the Libertadores over the past few years. The Medellin teams in particular, Dim in particular, have really struggled in this competition. And so... Going out to a side like Magashanes, even though they are favored in Medellin, certainly on the cards and could certainly be something that we've seen happen in years past for a Colombian side. Yeah, absolutely. I think as well, um, Tom mentioned the old Silver Fox Torres, but that central midfield for Medellin potentially, I think, is is an issue. They're both very good players. Torres and Ricalte are very, very classy players, experienced technical players. But there's not a huge amount of energy in there. You know, it's it's a it's a number ten who drops deep to get the ball, and a you know mid thirties midfielder who's come back from Europe. There's not anyone really putting a lot of pressure. Obviously, Pardo again is is perhaps past past his best a little bit. Valencia's there, so there's potential. I think for for Magallanes to create some problems there. And as you say, um, while Magallanes have just come off an impressive result. They're not a team that's that's well known in Colombia, so uh, a disappointing result will be will be received very poorly. It will, will be a, a confirmation that Colombian football is a is a is in a bad state. So, I think there's definitely some pressure on Medellin coming into this game. I think they are all coming as favourites, but I can see why why Tom um, has has positive feelings for the Chileans. 
Tom, I'll come to you for another one of our, our four ties that, that we have starting this week. And I think this is another pretty interesting one on paper because I think the team that will probably be the underdogs, at least by the odds, in Sporting Cristal, come into this tie against Huracan of Argentina with a lot more momentum. Sporting Cristal rallied from a two-goal first-leg loss with a 5-1 win over Nacional of Paraguay, two goals late to, to seal their spot in the third phase. And Tom Huracan, uh, a really unimpressive 1-0 aggregate win over what is a pretty weak Boston Riverside from Uruguay. A Colcaro penalty right before halftime of the second leg was the only goal that Huracan were able to score. Uh, this is going to be an interesting tie for, for the Argentine side. And I think this is the type of tie that Sporting Cristal could have some success in based on what we were able to see from them, particularly in Lima uh, against Nacional. First leg in Buenos Aires is obviously going to be key. Yeah, no, I, I think Sporting Cristal definitely is one of the most that I've enjoyed watching them in, in quite a long time. Uh, even in the first game, which they lost 2-0 to, to Nacional of Paraguay, I thought they were good value for at least a draw perhaps could even snatch some more I think they hit, hit the woodwork a couple of times it was only a very late goal that made it 2-0 to the Paraguayans as well and the way that they reacted um, they were looking you know looking good going forward they've got some genuinely really exciting young players as well the likes of Tavera in midfield Jumar Laura, the right back I thought he was sensational and his goal when the game was tied at 3-3 on aggregate um, I mean, we can discuss whether we think he meant that or not. I think he did. Um, but I mean, what a way for a, a, a right back to, uh, to make it 4-3 in the dying stages of the game. Um, so yeah, he, he's very good. I like Chavez. I like uh, Castillo, Bretel. You know, there, there's some, there's all the way through that side. There's some, there's some good young players. And then the likes of Irvin uh, Avila up front and um uh, Shotun as well, you know, there's some experience there too. So um, they look they, they look going good going forward. One of their big issues last year and in recent years has been how profligate they were in front of goal. But you know, they've shown hopefully that they haven't used up all their their goals in that that game. There going to be such a, a sort of clash of styles against a uh, Uruguayan side that are always quite dour that you know you're never seeing them blow teams away they're they're a sort of Sean Dyche-esque team whoever's managing them they always seem to just be grinding a, a, a game uh, out by by the odd goal or never scoring more than a couple of goals um, I still think they have the edge just because they've got they're on pretty good form and they're very hard to break down um, yes they weren't great against Boston River but I, I do think that that's you maybe did them a little bit, Boston River, a, a bit of a disservice there. Um, yes, they, they weren't anything special, but, you know, I, I thought they did well to, um, you know, cut off the the options for, for Uragan. And I think it's a game that's really going to be won in midfield. The combo of Fattori and Heze is such a good midfield pair. Um, one of the best combos in in Argentinian uh, domestic football at the moment. Um, and they've got a good spine there. If they can get Mirosha back into the starting lineup, Cocoro is a good striker up front. I think they showed more in the home leg um, that there's there's more to come from Uracan. And hopefully it's just a case of easing themselves into it, thinking that, yeah, okay, we should probably get the job done against Boston River. Um, Cristal will be much more of a, a challenge and it's and they're a side that will look to have more of the ball. Um, 
but I, I think I'm just going to edge the Argentinians purely based on, on their know-how and, um, and, and everything there. But at either side, I think will will fancy themselves going through here. And, um, I definitely think either one could, you know, be, be a tough team to face in the groups as well. So what you're telling me is uh, not a high-scoring match in the first leg based on the fact that Huracan are, are maybe a team that's content with playing dour football and, and Cristal are probably <laughs> a side that would be content to take a result back with them to Lima? I, I would say that's a, that's a pretty good bet there, Austin, yeah. Simon, so, the, the last of our ties here is I think probably the most even of the ties based on what we've seen so far, and that is the Brazilian side Fortaleza, who, as previously mentioned, got through against Deportivo Maldonado. 4-0 on aggregate in the end, but Fortaleza scored three goals in kind of the last 10 minutes of the second leg to, to really open that tie up. And Cerro Porteño, the classic Paraguayan Giants who are here in the qualifying stages, got through against composition debutants Corico Unido. Simon, so, how do you kind of see this tie going out? And, and would you maybe agree with me that it kind of feels like it's maybe the most even of the four ties that we have? Yeah, I think I think I think I'd agree with that. Um, I think it's I think they're very yeah well matched teams. I think it's quite an interesting one. Obviously, Fortaleza in attack with Gallardo, who's a you know, experienced striker, good striker, and Pochettino in behind. That's quite it's quite a fun pairing in attack for Fortaleza. Um, but yeah, this is an interesting one. And again, the, the style of play isn't too dissimilar. Kind of um, using the whip, um, having you know two two forward players you know arriving in the box. I think it'll be quite a, quite an interesting game, quite an even game. Um, Cerro, we've seen be very effective in this competition to kind of have an impact and to progress and do well. So uh, I think it's um, yeah, I think I think I think it's quite interesting. I, I I do like Fortaleza. Tom, what do you what do you think of Fortaleza? Yeah, I was I was all primed, ready to be like, come on, we need Cerro Porteño through to the group stage. They're a classic side. Um, it it wouldn't be the same without them. Um, and while I still think that. The, I, I do really like this Fortaleza side. Um, and I think that if you are going to have a Brazilian, you know, another Brazilian side in the competition, at least let it be someone from the northeast of the country um, rather than down south. But I really like what they're doing. I thought that even though they kind of put a bit of a gloss in the final game on the scoreline there, they were really good value for it. They, they, I think they hit the woodwork a couple of times before their first goal. They had loads of chances. They were, they were playing some nice football. And, and as you said, they've got some, some really good options there. I think they've, for the, after getting into the knockout stages last year, they've, they've kind of improved on, on that. You know, you've mentioned Gallardo, um, but having, uh, Romero and Lucero as well, um, you know, Lucero coming off the bench to, to score a couple of goals there. You know that's that's really good at this this level. Goal he scored in particular, the fourth goal of the match, Lucero's second was quite the strike. So nonchalant, it was it was absolutely lovely. But yeah, I've been a I've been a big fan of his for a while, and you know he was he was good at Velez, he was good in Chile as well. Um, and you know I think with that, obviously Pochettino, if they can get the the Pochettino that we saw at Tajeres, then then that's going to be great. Who you know you can't not love a side with Thiago Pikachu in there. Uh, Pedro Rocha's you know g- can do a job. Hercules um, in in midfield I think is an interesting young talent. Um, as and Voivoda in charge as well is 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 a savvy savvy manager at this level. So I was yeah I'm I'm, I'm quite quite uh, enjoying what I've seen so far of Fortaleza and especially with that home crowd. It looked absolutely pumping um, and yeah. 
even even though Cerro are are great and they I think they're unbeaten since the middle of October, um, then I, I I wouldn't mind seeing either of this these sides in the next round. But I'm I'm definitely leaning towards Fortaleza. Yeah, Fortaleza, Tom, a club that made the Libertadores debut last year for the first time, and and you can certainly sense that with the the fans and the atmosphere circuit taking advantage of, of of every Copa match that they can get. And it is a really interesting tie because these are two really good teams that have maybe had the misfortune of, of being drawn against each other in this third phase tie. And that's kind of how it goes in the Libertadores in these qualifying rounds. It, it comes down to the draw for the most part, particularly in this round to determine, you know, who ends up getting matched up with who. And I think we've certainly got a, a, a treat of a tie here between Fortaleza and, and Cerro Porteño. And we're back after a brief break here on South American Soccer Insights. Guys, it's not just the Libertadores as far as continental competition is concerned this week. We also have the start of the Copa Sudamericana. Tom, 16 matches coming your way this week. The winners of those 16 matches will move into the group stage where they'll join the Argentine and Brazilian teams and also four teams from the Libertadores. A lot of games, some of them more attractive than the others. What are the games that stick out to you? Yeah, I think it's um, it's always easy to get lost in the sheer amount of uh, uh, games at this stage in the Sudamericana. But there's a couple there that, that really jump out. Um, the key one for me, I would say, is Defensor Sporting versus Danubio. Um, two local rivals who don't have a lot of love for each other. Um, and two sides that are really, really good when it comes to youth production. So as well as it being a feisty game, there's going to be loads of interest if you're someone who wants to keep an eye out for the next big star. Uh, Defensor provided a lot of the players that went to the um, under-20 um, Sudamericana with uh, with Uruguay. Uh, you've got Abaldo, um, Anderson Duarte, Bocelli in, in defence, um, and then a couple of players who didn't make it as well, like Ferrari, Diego Abreu, the son of El Loco, um, the famous Uruguayan striker who's played for every club in the world, pretty much. Um, and Lucas de la Santos, nice defensive midfielder as well. So lots of interest there. Um, and Danubio as well. You've got the right back Ponte, Franco Gonzalez, a really diminutive number 10. If you like your your playmakers five foot three, five foot four, then, then he's your man. Um, so yeah, I think that's going to be interesting for, for, for a couple of reasons. And then to kind of stick on the Uruguayan theme, you've got, uh, Peñarol versus River Plate. Um, not, not that one, the, the Montevideo version. Um, and the kind of big storyline here is the return of Matias Areso. Um, going back to his his former club, he's on loan at Peñarol from uh, Granada in Spain. And after not really lighting things up uh, in in Spain, he's he's done amazingly well for for Peñarol. I think it's seven goals in five games now. Peñarol top of the league in the early stages of the Primera there, and um, yeah, and two sides as well who who produce a lot of young young players, a lot of Peñarol's. Um, players coming through won the under 20 Libertadores last year. Um, and yeah, River Plate produced um, the aforementioned uh, Arezzo and, and Borbas. And they've got some good young players like Joaquin La Vega um, and some other good young 16 year olds who are only just breaking into the squad and probably be the, you know, they've already got their contingency plan for when the, the next guy leaves. So yeah, they're the two games that are, most interest me, I would say. 
And Simon, the, the Colombian contingent, also pretty interesting here in the Sudamericana. Some pretty talented teams, teams we've seen in the Libertadores, teams we've seen in continental competition over the past couple of years. And big moments for these clubs because a change in format this year in the Sudamericana. It's a one-off match, no two legs, no fallback, 90 minutes. It goes to penalties if there's a draw. These are big moments for these clubs to try and secure continental football for the, the first half of the year here. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. No, in, in, with the Colombian teams, yeah, two interesting games. Uh, I would say Tolima Jr. is probably the more high-profile tie. Uh, Tolima, a team that's been very successful over the recent years in Colombia, having a very slow start to this season. Um, generally a team that has a lot of pace out wide. This year they've got Jason Walsman in the number 10 spot, a player I've liked for years and I'm hoping this is his chance to kind of establish himself. But it's been a slow start for Tolima, uh, whereas Junior, as seems to be always the case, is a team full of stars, um, perhaps more individuals than, than a team at times, but we've seen that they that is enough for them in the Sudamericana to be competitive and to challenge. And I think Juan Fernando Quintero as a number 10 with Carlos Bacher as the number nine, that's interesting. And then there's, there's a good solid uh, base as well. Scarpeta, I think, is a good defender. Ortiz is, a, is, is very good on his day as well. They've got a goalkeeper who takes free kicks. What more could you ask for? Um, so that's going to be an interesting tie. I think Junior will be favourites because they've had a slightly better start than Tolima. Plus, they've got that star quality. But it will be an interesting game because Tolima are very good at catching teams out on the counter. So I expect, even though Tolima are at home, I expect Junior to kind of be on the front foot in terms of possession. But Tolima will welcome that with the pace and with the creativity of uh, Jason Guzman, hopefully uh, showing his quality in that one. So that should be a really interesting game. Um, and then the other tie for Colombia is Brunegro Aguilas at home in a, in a small stadium outside of Medellin um, against Santa Fe. We are obviously a much bigger club um, from Bogota. Uh, again, I think... Neither of these teams particularly excite me. Um, Kevin Castaño is a really good midfielder for Rio Negro. Uh, Santa Fe have some interesting youngsters. Um, for example, Enamorado, Enamorado uh, as a really flying winger. Rodajega as well. That Rodajega is a uh, sign for Santa Fe. There's been some questions about his fitness. Um, the, the general meme in Colombia is he looks like an auntie. Um, so hopefully he can uh, show his best football. But it'll be very interesting. And obviously as well, you know, alongside the big teams in the Sudamericana, you always have some, some new clubs. This year, for example, General Caballero, uh, General Gentleman, which isn't a team I know, but looking forward to finding out about. Tom, can, can I get some analysis on uh, on Guavira Oriente Petrolero or Blooming Atleto, Atletico Palma Flor from Bolivia from you? Oh, I mean, this is this is the one that is sort of bubbling under the surface, really, for everyone's uh, hipster choices. I mean, the probably go-to thing is to say that the you know there's probably going to be some long-range golazos and some uh, some interesting uh, ball movements and and things like that at the altitude. Um, probably you'll now tell me that it's one of the few Bolivian clubs that is an altitude. But I am unfortunately uh, <laughs> having to confirm to you that both of those teams, Guavira and Blooming, neither of them possess altitude. So we're playing Bolivian football at sea level, which for me is the worst kind of football there is. Yeah, okay, you've put me off this game completely. But yeah, <laughs> definitely showing up my uh, my in-depth knowledge of the Bolivian League. And also, uh, Puerto Cabello, a team in Venezuela that have made a really good start to the year for the domestic game in Venezuela. They've had a hot start and are atop the table after a few matches. All right, Tom, let's move to, to what we've seen domestically so far this year. We're through, I think it's five match days in Argentina. Six match days in Argentina, in fact. So we're kind of getting a... a 
a glance at, at where teams are and, and where teams are is all pretty much in the exact same spot. <laughs> Defensive Justicia and San Lorenzo lead the table at, at 13 points. Rosario Central and 10th have 10. So it's, it's jam packed at the top as you'd expect. Um, what are some of the things that maybe stood out to you so far in kind of what do you expect as we kind of look forward to, to the match day that that's to come here this coming weekend? Yeah, as you said, it's, it's always hard this early in the season to predict um, what's going to happen. And as is the case, there's no one or two teams that are clearly head and shoulders above the rest. There's no, no team that's gone on a perfect start or anything like that. There's only one side, Uracan, who are unbeaten as things currently stand. So what you do get from the Argentinian league is, is plenty of competition, lots of twists and turns. But um, yeah, as you mentioned there, a couple of surprising teams leading the way at the moment. I mean, defensive with this year always seem to punch above their weight despite changing their squad um, quite regularly. Um, but yeah, they're doing well. Um, Uvita Fernandez, uh, the little grape is, is scoring lots of goals and he's, he's probably the, the guy to, to look out for in that side. And San Lorenzo on the back of a, a very good finish to the end of last year, um, they are just solid. They don't score many goals. They don't concede many goals, um, crucially. And they, they seem to be getting their, their house in order a little bit now um, under Insua. So, yeah, there's there's some you know good young players there. There's some old Colombian legends in the, in the team, which I'm sure Simon will be um, always happy to see representing. Um, but they're the t- two teams on top. Boca and River, while they've not been brilliant, um, certainly in the performances of, of Boca um, are still very much there and you always bet that they're going to be right up the top by the end of the season. And um, yeah, I think the the interesting other teams up there, um, we've mentioned Huracan in the Libertadores, they're a lot more free-flowing in the league, scoring more goals. Um, and also Lanús, who they need to have a good season because of the... Um, relegation average of three years they've they've got some pretty poor seasons um in in recent memory um they can't quite rely on on the goals of uh, pepe sand as they once did but uh pedro de la vega the the justin bieber of argentinian football and um, with his beautiful bleach blonde locks and is coming back into some form and he's a name that feels like he's been around forever but he's still pretty young and um yeah he's he's sort of spearheading their revival at the moment so pretty interesting there's some good games coming up this weekend um san lorenzo are 1.854 to beat gymnasia 22nd place um gymnasia on saturday um but probably the big game um, at the top of the table, at least, is uh, Defensa versus Tajeres. And there's some pretty good um, options here if, if you fancy a flutter because um, Defensa um, are actually uh, 2.90 to beat Tajeres at home um, and Tajeres are 2.640 away from home. Um, Tajeres, I think, just there in uh, fourth position at the moment. Um, so that's that's one that's going to be really difficult to, to call, but there's some pretty good odds either way on, on that game. Um, I think elsewhere in terms of some, some pretty good odds, you've got Boca 2.570 to beat Banfield away from home, which feels like a good bet seeing as Banfield haven't got a win yet in the league and are rock bottom of the table. Um, so yeah, I feel like that's, that's some quite generous odds there. If, if you're wanting to, 
um, to go for something that feels like a, a pretty straightforward Boca win. Uh, but if you're not feeling quite as adventurous, River at 1.476 to beat Godoy Cruz, who admittedly did just beat Racing, who are, who are a good side and, and have been a little bit disappointing um, so far um, this season. That feels like a, a pretty odds-on uh, option there to, to, to get to get the win. So, yeah, very exciting as always. And it's, it's going to be interesting to see um, which of these teams can do something in the continental competitions as well. Tom, can I, can I interest you in a little Friday afternoon Chiqui Tapia magic for Baraka Central against stumbling Independiente? Ah. Oh. No tratas de entenderlo, disfrutalo, Austin. You know, you've got to, yes. don't, don't try and understand it, just enjoy it. So, um, yeah, of course, there's a, there's always time for a bit of uh, Cheeky Tapia, maybe with his Cumbia theme song playing in the background as well. 3.080 Baracas to be independiente on Friday afternoon. Uh, Simon, what do we have going on in Colombia? Yeah, so in Colombia, the league is what five, five, six games in. Obviously, some teams have played more than others. Um, but uh, yeah, things have kicked off in an interesting way. Uh, the league's looking very interesting. We've got some big games coming up this week. I think an important factor when considering kind of your betting options in Colombia is to consider the, the, the playoffs, which plays a big role in all of this because the top eight in Colombia qualify for the the playoffs and then it doesn't matter if you finish first or you finish eighth you get thrown into the same playoff system so um, many teams in Colombia will look to get a good start and then kind of ease off or they'll balance off their league commitments with the continental competitions that Libertadores and Sudamericana so it's something to consider uh, in Colombia another important factor in terms of betting is the, the weather conditions and how that all plays into it as well so many teams going away from home to kind of the more Difficult games, whether that be uh, kind of the extreme heat of of uh, Jaguares in Monteria or Huila or even uh, Junior in Barranquilla, that can mean that teams are looking to settle for the draw. Um, if you win all your home games and you draw most of your away games, you're going to get pretty close. So that's something to consider. Uh, and I think often the odds reflect that that mentality. Uh, often the away teams to win are, are, are slightly undervalued. Um, now, obviously, that reflects the, the intention of the club, but yeah, something to think about. In terms of the Colombian League, um, Deportivo Cali struggling again. They've had a bit of a nightmare year um, after winning the league. <laughs> um, fairly recently, things haven't gone very well for them for a while. They're down in 18th with Santa Fe just above them, Tolima struggling, Junior struggling. A lot of the teams that we've mentioned from the Sudamericana, um, perhaps a little bit distracted by uh, preparation for continental competitions so something to think about at the top we've got two of the big giants in Colombian football now America de Cali and Atletico Nacional uh, the big club from Cali the big club from Medellin with two smaller clubs Bojeca Chico have made an amazing start following their promotion who are up in fourth and Rio Negro Aguilas who we mentioned from the Sudamericana uh, a, a good team uh, a bit underwhelming not much popular not much support with the fans small stadium but they seem to always put together a competitive team and then reigning champions, Pereira just just down there in sixth, with my my favourite team, Envigado, in fifth, doing very well. So, in terms of the games coming up this week, um, we've got some interesting ones. Um, I would say uh, the biggest game coming up is Atlético Nacional against Millonarios, which is a, a derby. It's the big club from Medellin against the big club from Bogota. So it's not a local derby, but it's known as the derby of the mountains um, because both teams 
Although Medellin's more valley. But anyway, anyway we'll, we'll leave it out. But basically, that's going to be the big game of the week. And I think Nacional are favourites for Pinnacle 2.12 to win. Um, I think that's about fair. Not only are Nacional in a, in a good position right now with some of the young players coming through, including uh, Thomas Angel, the son of Juan Pablo, um, who's getting some minutes and doing very well. Um, but also, Millonarios um, have... Uh, these uh, Libertadores qualifiers coming up so it's going to be a bit distracting for them in terms of kind of the value this week I think um, Pereira to, to win against Rio Negro is, is really interesting odds so Pereira the reigning Colombian champions there's been some changes but they've remained very strong and they're at 4.33 to win away to, against Rio Negro Aguilas who are 1.9 uh, Rio Negro have this Sudamericana game midweek they may rest some players um, for this upcoming fixture. Um, it's going to be interesting, but I think there's a decent chance that Pereira can win that one and they've got pretty good odds for Pinnacle. Another interesting one I'd say is Medellin away at Bojeca Chico. Chico have made a really strong start, which I think reflects the fact that they're at 2.17 to win this one. Strong favourites. Whereas Medellin, I think, just have a better team. They won 3-0 this weekend. They're at 3.6. Uh, to win away. Um, again, betting to for away teams to win in, in Colombia can be a bit risky, but I think with these two instances, there's good reason to, to go for it. And if you're feeling really confident, another away win, Wheeler, who are bottom of the table, 5.51 going to uh, to win away at Jaguares, who are 1.68. Pinnacle have Jaguares strong, strong favourites. I understand why. But I think there's similar weather conditions for the two teams. Wheeler are going to be used to the heat of Monteria. Uh, I think it could be potentially a chance for Wheeler to snatch the, uh, a win there and, and kind of get off the bottom of the table. So that might be a decent decent shout as well. So things are starting off in Colombia. It's an interesting league. They have two se- leagues per season, uh, 20 games with playoffs. So one of the positives is there tends to be very few pointless games, although bottom of the table can be a bit different with the massively complicated relegation system. But uh, leagues starting to kick off there in Colombia and some interesting games coming up this week. Simon, has a uh, has an animal named team ever had success in Colombia? I mean, success is relative, no. Um, Rio Negro Aguilas have, have, have done some things in the in the, the Sudamericana. You got the Jaguars. Um, yeah, they're, they're, it, basically, a, a general rule of thumb is if it's the team named after an animal, they're probably a bit pointless. Um, which I'm sure the fans are going to love me saying. But the good thing is they don't have any fans, um, and they probably don't have a reason to exist. Um, anyway, let, don't share this with any Colombian football people um, because I'm going to make myself very unpopular. Uh, go the Jaguars. Always a good message. Don't share this content. <laughs> <laughs> just, keep it, just keep it to the soccer community. Don't tell the Colombians. Don't tell the, the Colombian football people that I've been slagging off their animal teams. There we go. There we go. Uh, let's close this out, guys, with a quick look around at some of the the players from the Sudamericano under 20 that, that we talked about in the last show. Or maybe kind of working their way into the full national teams as, as we move towards this, this FIFA window at the end of March. It's going to be a weird FIFA window. A lot of teams kind of without managers, some under 20 coaches getting a chance to, to manage a lot of the national teams. Tom, a team that doesn't have any questions at the top are the world champions, Argentina. They will be back in action for a pair of what are essentially kind of celebration matches here in Argentina against Panama and Curaçao. All 26 players from the World Cup squad are involved, but there are also some interesting names on the back end of this squad that might not see any minutes, but will get their first taste of the Argentina camp. Yeah, exactly. As you said, it's it's a 
weird kind of limbo stage for uh, a lot of South American nations between the World Cup and Copa America. So really good chance to experiment and to sort of slowly integrate some of those young prospects who are, who are going to be big in their next World Cup cycle. So obviously the big one for Argentina is um, uh, Garnacho coming in someone who there was a lot of hype about him before the World Cup is maybe, you know, there's always that wild card outside choice that the, you know, the, the fans want, but realistically probably isn't going to get in. And I think he left it a little bit too late, um, but he's been absolutely brilliant since real difference maker and gives them something that particularly at times, even during the World Cup, you, you felt they act, lacked a bit of, pace and directness um in in the final third occasionally so he is someone who's got lots and lots of uh, talent coming from the wing um definitely someone i see as like a long-term di maria replacement for argentina so that's going to be good and then as you mentioned a couple of the guys from the under 20 side uh Bonanote and perrone both of whom got big moves to the premier league um they are both in even though Argentina in the 20s didn't do very well and they're clearly really good players and you know there's that nice symmetry there of having uh, Buenanote and Buendia so good day and good night um, in the Argentina team and probably more of a deep cut for those people who are really into their Argentinian football is the inclusion of Lautaro Blanco um, left back who was at Rosario Central um, now in Spain with Elche, I believe. Um, and he's 23. He's, he's someone who could be, you know, a bit of a short term fix at fullback, given that by the time the next world cup rolls around, um, Dalia Fico and Acuna are going to be in them sort of mid thirties and Argentina really don't have many fullbacks coming through. So, um, yeah, probably not the sexiest name on the list, but but someone who I'm going to be uh, keeping an eye on to see if he can be a you know an experienced left back option in the years to come for Argentina. And Simon, I know that we don't have a, a Colombia squad yet, but are, are there some players that you kind of have your eye on heading into this FIFA window that that could get a first national team call up, or, or maybe some of the other Sudamericana under twenty players who have been in the news lately? Yeah, I think. Um it's going to be a big decision for the manager at what point he wants to bring some of these interesting young talents through. Um, Colombia kind of have a few generations now kind of piling up in the national team. The likes of Cuadrado and James and Falcao still knocking around. Some good youngsters, some guys who are kind of waiting for their chance, some kind of late developers. There's plenty of options for the manager. And at times, Colombia's biggest issue is they've had kind of too many options and they brought someone in for a couple of games and then changed it again. So, we should see how important continuity is. From the U20 squad, I mean, there's obviously uh, some interesting players. So Jorge Cabezas has joined Watford at the start of the year. He's on loan at Medellin. So we should see what he does potentially uh, in continental competition for the next six months before he goes to Watford. So he's one who's interesting. Uh, Luna, who's a kind of inverted winger, playmaker, very creative, uh, technical kind of number 10. He's joined Mallorca in Spain, so he's one to keep around. Gustavo Puerto was probably, in most games, Colombia's most important player, sitting in front of the defence, getting on the ball, um, playing really you know, important passes, scoring some goals, being solid. He's moved to Germany. Uh, he's currently on loan in the second division, but he's, he's doing Leverkusen, I believe it is. So that's a really interesting move for him. Um, it's an important one, I think. 
The other star for me from the Colombia side was Kevin Mandilla, a very composed, kind of assertive, uh, very, very strong kind of defensive leader. Um, he's wanted by some big teams. Uh, AEK Athens uh, made a move and that's kind of not gone through yet. We'll see what happens. Interesting in Brazil as well, but for me, he's a really, really interesting player. Um, and if, if that European move doesn't work out right now, it wouldn't surprise me, maybe an MLS club, but he's definitely a player who could play in Europe. So we'll be interested to see what happens with him. There's a few options there. Uh, obviously, John Jere Duran as well is the, the big hope for Colombian football in terms of a number nine. Uh, Tom's, Tom's guy over there at Aston Villa. So he's had some interesting moments for Villa so far, but I think with his pace, with his pressing, with his physicality, he missed out on the sort of Americano because of that move to Aston Villa. Uh, understandably, Villa wanted him to get, wanted to get him in and get him started and he's already made some, some appearances. But yeah, I think Colombia will be looking forward to the U20 World Cup. Um, to see what these players can do. And I think they should be pretty competitive. At the Sudamericano, I think um, they kind of settled into a bit more of a rhythm in this, the second stage. I think Carres has kind of established himself as the number nine, which was important. Um, and uh, yeah, I think there's some decent quality. You had two or three players who weren't called up for the, the Sudamericano, um, but you know, weren't released by their clubs. And for the World Cup, I think that's a, a pretty strong Colombia side. And Tom, kind of quickly to close out here, Uruguay and Brazil also seeing some of those Sudamericano under-20 players getting involved or, or near getting involved with the full national team. Yeah, Brazil have um, incorporated, I think, five of the under-20 winning squad. Um, Vitor Roque and Andre Santos, who were both joint top scorers with six goals. Particularly impressive from Santos, given he's uh, sort of nominally a defensive midfielder. Um, Vitor Roque... You know, we've talked on this podcast last year about how impressed we were with his um, performances in the Copa Libertadores when Atletico Paranaense got to the final. So there's no surprise to see him do well. But yeah, Santos looks like an all-round midfield leader um, and one that uh, is in a rare bit of uh, Chelsea being ahead of the curve and, and spending wisely looks to be um, a really great signing. So good to see them in the squad as well. And um You've also got Robert Renan, a wonderful centre-back who, yeah, won't be long in Russia before he's snapped up by one of the big boys. Um, And then two kind of more interesting ones, Mikael, the goalkeeper, um, really probably the best goalkeeper at the under-20s, really good with his reflex saves. saves, And um, yeah, uh, looked looked like a good prospect. So interesting to see him um, incorporated there purely for some, some experience, I would imagine. And then Artur, the right back, um, bit of a problem position for Brazil as well. Um, haven't got a load of options there. And he's someone who, um, very kind of low-key, under the radar, went about his business nicely. He's, he's your typical modern fullback who is kind of can play in that inverted role where he just steps into midfield. There was a few times Brazil even used him in, in midfield as well. So he feels like stylistically quite a good fit for this Brazil side, which is making a lot of changes, um, particularly in the midfield with other young players like Joao Gomez and Andre Trindad um, coming into the, into the center of the park there as well. So yeah, with that early exit from the world cup by, by Brazilian standards, there's, there's probably the need to, to shake things up a bit. Uruguay, on the other hand, despite having a really, really good under-20 campaign, um, have decided not to include any of their under-20 stars for this um, this upcoming 
international round, probably as much with an eye on keeping them fresh for the under 20 world cup in May, um, and not, you know, getting ahead of themselves there, but, um, some key players from that who will hundred percent be in the national team. Um, if they keep up their current trajectory, the captain Fabricio Diaz, someone who's been around for three or four years already. Um, even though he's only just 20, um, more than a hundred games under his belt has won a ton of things with, uh, Liverpool and Montevideo. And yeah, he scored five goals in the Sudamericana from midfield. Absolute, absolute box to box, um, ticks all the, um, the things you'd want from a modern midfielder and will definitely be going, um, to it, to a bigger club soon. And then the other probably big name that's attracting a lot of attention, Alvaro Rodriguez, who's, um, you know, made his debut for Real Madrid, scored his first goal for Real Madrid. Um, really sort of tall, beanpole striker with, you know, an excellent touch and, all the skills and and the the raw material to be a, to be a really good option for them. I I, th- I do think there's it's it's probably wise to not throw him in just yet because even though he looks the real deal, there's you know there's still some rough edges and I still there were times where I, I felt he was maybe he's still yet to sort of really grow into his frame. But once he does that, makes the ball stick up where with back to goal and things like that, then he'll he'll have a bit of everything really because um, physically he's he's already well ahead. He just needs to add that upper body strength and 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 he'll be absolutely flying. So yeah, those guys are really good. Um, the other two players that I'll mention from that under twenty squad who I'd be expecting to to sort of break into the the national team in the next couple of years would be uh, Facundo Gonzalez, um, really cultured tall, um, composed, uh, center back who's at Valencia. Um, so yeah, they could probably do with a calm head in what is, I mean, Valencia is always a pretty, um, mad club to be in, but, um, yeah, things not going too well there at the moment. So he's someone who, yeah, has got all the kind of classic Uruguayan last gasp defensive skills that you'd want, but is actually a really, smooth operator on the ball can bring the ball out of defense can yeah just tie everything together he's he's someone who i I think could be really big for uruguay in the future and also luciano rodriguez big revelation surprise package of the um under 20s he can play across all the, the the front line um best probably off the right but yeah can play off the left can play through the middle great dribbler absolutely fearless beautiful shot from long range. I think four of his five goals at the Sudamericano came from outside of the box. Um, so yeah, he's, he's someone who can make something happen and, um, yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan of his as well. So yeah, two different teams at different stages of their development, but along with Colombia, I'd say that they're, they're both absolutely capable of, of winning the under 20 world cup in, in what is quite a strong batch, um, of South American teams this time around. Certainly some of those names uh, worth keeping an eye on. And, and as we said, FIFA dates coming at the end of this month here in South America and obviously all around the world. And then that under 20 World Cup, as you said, Tom, something to, to definitely keep an eye on as we go forward. Well, that's it for us on, on this edition of South American Soccer Insights. A reminder that you can find the latest odds and betting insight on Pinnacle.com, plus plenty of content on the Twitter at Pinnacle and the Instagram, which is at Pinnacle.betting. Plenty of other sports as well on those sites. And the odds that we did mention on today's show were correct at the time of recording. And of course, as always, we ask that you gamble responsibly.